Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine and the one thing I have to do Welcome to episode 45 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I am Tom Mullen. This episode, we talk to John from Boys Life. Fantastic. They have a reissue on Top Shelf, Departures and Landfalls, a tour, a lot happening. Boys Life was one of these bands that we were kind of wondering, hey, are they going to come back? Are they going to tour? They did an amazing Chrissy front drive. You know the whole story. Well, maybe you don't. Well, now you do. Uh, John took an hour uh, with me recently to speak and hope you enjoy so here is boys life and we are as always brought to you by epitaph records epitaph.com our friends at epitaph thank you for being our sponsor on wash up email so you're ready to ready to now this is just we're just going to start asking questions just just normal don't don't tense up <laughs> uh, no i mean i'm 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 totally i mean i'm 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 ready to give you give you the whole deal man let's let's, let's go Cheer, cool give me some questions nice and, uh, Hit, hit the record button, I guess. Record <laughs> button's been going. Don't you worry about that. Um, <laughs> well, thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm not putting this all in there. Don't worry. Uh, not all of it. Um, <laughs> that it. So, um, John, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Boys Life, uh, an amazing uh, band. And next year, it'll be 20 years uh, since Departures and Landfalls. Um, and you've got a reissue coming this year from, from Top Shelf. Um, I would just kind of want to know like how some of this transpired, and you know what was it like getting the call from Top Shelf um, about it, or just how did it come about? Oh, okay. Well, well, thanks, Tom, for having me. It's uh, I'm you know huge long time time listener, and I'm I'm really stoked to be on the podcast. Long time, so, uh, first time. That's what you say. What you remember? We talk radio with like sports radio. When you ever you call, you go uh, long time first time. So it's like you're a long <laughs> yeah, time listener, right. first time caller. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. That's hilarious. Um, uh, you know how did it all come about? Um, you know, it's just kind of uh, a couple years ago we we got uh, we got the rights to the record and you know it's just, it's not on Spotify. It's not you know it's not on on anything that people can listen to, only the crank stuff is, and and we always thought as departures of the landfalls was, was like some of our best work, 
And um, so we just kind of just kind of talked about it every once in a while. It's like, hey, you know, do you, you know, do you want to get back out there? You know, what would it look like? What would you know, what would we do? Would it just be digital? What would it be? You know? And so we thought, that, thought about that for a long time. And um, it seems like almost every year, usually around February, someone gives me a call saying, hey, does Boys Life want to do a reunion show? Hint, hint. You know, like for some kind of reason for, for something like that. And uh, so it just started getting, you know, it just, kind of snowballed into 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 what's going on now so <laughs> and then when you got to was it an email was it i mean obviously every year those things pop up with hey play a show or this person's putting on something what was what was it like hearing from a label that was newer that it wasn't uh better looking or it wasn't uh you know an indie label back back in the day like jade tree it was actually a new label well, it was really interesting how um, Top Shelf kind of uh, entered the picture. Um, when we first started kind of like thinking about like, okay, well, you know, what's this going to look like if, if we're going to put it back out? What's it going to look like? Are we going to do a physical copy? Are we going to do it with somebody? Or are we going to do it with ourselves? Are we just going to put it on ourselves? What are we going to do, you know? And um, so we kind of, you know, we kind of put it, put it on the back burner for – for about a year and um and just uh one summer night i was hanging out with uh with bob nana and i was like hey um do you know anyone would maybe be interested in, in putting out uh departures of landfall refill uh, uh reissue and uh he's like i'll start making some calls <laughs> nice. so, uh and uh you know literally he he uh he texted Kevin right there on the phone, like as, as we were talking and they're like, yes, we're interested. So, um, we just kind of started getting the ball rolling and, you know, just kind of, kind of what happened. It just started kind of just happening. And I was just, just, you know, again, you know, we were all kind of put all this stuff on the back burner and we're kind of like, well, what's it going to look like? What's, you know, is anybody going to be interested or, you know, this is almost a twenty-year-old record. You know, does anybody, does anybody even really care? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we went through we went through that whole that whole scenario via email and text messages and stuff for for a really long time before we finally decided to buckle down and actually do it. So, and um, you told me, it, yeah, you you told me in an email that the the first practice or one of the first few I can't remember was the, the quote was it was like we'd never been apart. Yeah, it was actually really amazing. Um, I, it was, it was, it was pretty magical. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Like, uh, like, uh, Brandon actually flew from Louisville up to, uh, up here to Chicago and we drove down to Kansas City together for the first rehearsal. And it was like, we'd never been apart. It was like, like, oh my God, hey, you know, I picked him up at the airport and we just, you know, started chit-chatting and just like, you know, just, just talking and, and, you know, just having, having a blast. And, you know, we had an eight hour, eight hour road trip to, uh, KC and it was just, it was just so much fun. It's just like we'd never been apart. And it was, it's crazy because I hadn't seen Brandon. It's until I picked him at the airport. 
I had only like talked to him on the phone and email and text messaging. And I literally have not seen him since 2005. So it's been about 10 years since I actually was in a physical in proximity to him. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. It was, it was really fun. I see John Anderson actually quite a bit because um, he's still in Kansas City. So, so through the years we've been to quite a few weddings together and stuff like that. So, so I, you know, I see John quite a bit, but, uh, Winkle and, and Brandon being, uh, both in DC and Louisville proper and Brandon being in, in DC for a long time. So, you know, just never really saw those guys much. So, And when you guys were, I mean, this is going back, but it also kind of breeds into today of when you guys were, you know, like you'd never been apart and just playing in that, that feeling, what were some of those early bands or early um, things that you guys connected on um, back then? Like when you first got together, was there, was, was there a certain band or things that you sort of connected on? Because this specific type of music at this time was some of my favorite uh, output of sort of what was happening and just sort of what was uh-huh. swirling around for you guys at that time to kind of that made boys life. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I guess you have to kind of go back to the early days when we first started listening to music and stuff. And, um, for all of us, I think in general, we, um, we were all heavily into skateboarding. We we were all skateboarders, and Kansas City had a really tight scene. And so, um, when I you know finally started driving and having the, uh, the ability to go skating all over Kansas City and stuff, you know, I'd run into to Winkle and his his whole crew from Bruce uh, from Blue Springs and uh, all that stuff. And uh, you know, I met Brandon through skateboarding too. He lives only a couple miles from my house, but he went to different high school and stuff. And um, so we all basically kind of coalesced around the same bands back there, especially in, I guess, you know, I'm 43. So started skating in the eighth grade. So I started cutting my teeth freshman year. So 86-ish, I guess. So... I mean, the bands back then, you know, were SST bands and Discord bands. So, um, you know, it was West Coast, East Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Descendants, Black Flag, Sonic Youth, Firehose, Minutemen, all that stuff. Um, Dag Nasty, Minor Threat, all that stuff on the, uh, on the East Coast. And, uh, I think we all pretty much, we all pretty much all listen to the same things just because we, watched all the skateboard videos, especially like the uh, Santa Cruz videos and stuff. And, uh, you know, so we always, you know, we all listen to the same things, I think, for the most part. It's um, so funny how many people started that way uh, with, yeah. with, with, with skateboarding. There was, this, there was a social element to it, but there was such a deep music part of it as well um those were right, those yeah. were you I, I mean i heard culture. yeah it was such a culture and that there was this there was a sense of inclusion and um uh if it was you know there was a there was a place to meet up to there was other things to do um it was it, it was productive it was seemed to be supportive 
those are bigger kind of things about skateboarding in general, but it's interesting how much it sort of breeds the same thought that when you do come together and you say, oh, I skate, instantly you're on the same page. Yeah, I, 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 it's, yeah, I know. And it's like uh, there, there are some – the Kansas City skateboard scene today is still very tight-knit and, and very social. And um, I mean, for example, like uh, I was – when I was a, I was a kid, I was on a, a skateboard team uh, called California Connection with uh, James Belize, <laughs> of all people. And, you know, he was a freestyler, and I was like, you know, the street skater – kid on the team but but you know it's crazy it's like it's like everyone everyone was all together back then i mean we were all we're all either in the same boat and we all listen to the same thing and we're all into the you know we're all outcasts and you know nobody liked us because we were skateboarders and they tried to beat us up and so <laughs> there needs to be a skate video and i will fund it of you James, Todd from Pro- from Braid, Dan from the Promise Ring and Maritime. We need to get we need to get all the skate because Todd Todd told me there's like a they have a little skate date that he does on Saturdays or Sundays. I forget. Yeah. Um. I think I think we need to do that. Would be fucking hilarious. How full <laughs> circle? How full circle would that be? And... But no, it's like a, it'd be like we'd make a skate video, but it would just be old, washed up dudes. Um, but it would, they would, I think, I'm in. oh my God, <laughs> I'm totally in, I'm totally in. Oh my God. How do we do that? It probably would have been smart to do it at, uh, um, a, a festival or something, but I just think that would be yeah. absolutely hilarious. Like, look who's dropping in, you know, it's fucking Todd from, <laughs> from Ray, like just dropping in. Dude. Like, no. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, skateboarding is, is, is what we, you know, cut our teeth on and, uh, and that that definitely the you know the musical component there was uh one and the same and then you know? playing music so. was it you guys all were you interested in bass or did you have it before was it an older brother older sister telling you that you better pick up a guitar to get some girls or what <laughs> no it's actually kind of strange like um i i i always came from a from a family just you know regular middle class family that uh um, it was pretty cultured. My mom, my mom was a painter. Uh, my sisters danced ballet and stuff. And my parents always pushed me to do something artistic. So, um, you know, I was either drawing all the time or I was in, um, I was in concert band playing saxophone and my parents made me learn how to play the piano when I was a kid, even though I hated it. I really just wanted a guitar. But, uh, you know, they wouldn't really have a guitar or a drum, drum set. So, um, yeah, I had to go along with what they, what they wanted. So, uh, but, um, so yeah, I mean, when, when skateboarding took full effect, I mean, that's, that's all we did. That's what all of us did. I mean, we didn't, you know, we listen to music, we go skateboarding and, you know, we'd hang out at the ramps or whatever and just, you know, just blast. I mean, that's all we did. So, um, there was, I, I guess, I guess there was kind of a point somewhere after high school when either we were all just working like full-time jobs or going to school or whatever, and um, Nirvana and all that stuff kind of broke, and, and 
the scene in Kansas City really just kind of exploded. Right, kind of like right then and there. It just, it just really picked up. Um, there seemed to be more independent record stores. There seemed to be a lot more shows, um, a lot of uh, warehouse shows with local bands and uh, stuff like that. So and there was always the outhouse in Lawrence, which was pretty much your go-to um, uh, punk club. Uh, you may have heard of the outhouse or whatever. It's uh, mm-hmm. basically this like little, almost like a garage. It's kind of like a little warehouse in the middle of a cornfield. And um, uh, it, was, it was pretty much no holds barred. You can do whatever you want to there. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. It was just probably, probably one of the greatest clubs, I, I think, probably in the world. You can do anything, you know, anything goes there. And, uh, I mean, we saw everyone from Jesus Lizard to Helmet to Fugazi. I mean, I remember seeing Fugazi there. You couldn't, you could like lift up your legs and you would move with the crowd. I mean, it's just, it was just insane. It's just, this is just the kind of place that it's every punk kid's dream <laughs> kind of menu. And so, so there was always, there was always shows there, but Kansas City really started picking up when, uh, the room box, um, which was owned by, uh, this guy named Mike Check, And, um, he was the one that really started putting us young bands in, in kind of spotlight and giving us a chance to open up for a lot of touring acts. So um, that's kind of how Kansas City. That's that's kind of how it kind of how it started. I think I think I'm rambling at this point. So. No, it's fine. No, I think it, no no it, it, no it plays into it because the scene itself helped manifest that interest. Going to those shows, going to those venues, got people excited. If it was if it was the time period or seeing certain bands, you're up there looking at them saying, I can do that. Uh, right. And that, and that's basically kind of how it happened for us. Um, we were just, you know, we we're just kids, you know, hanging out and we're like, didn't really think about like starting the band, but, um, there was one band in particular, Molly McGuire, um, that they were like that, that local band for me. And I think probably probably for Winkle and, and Brandon as well, um, that we're like, hey, we could do that too. Like you know, it's like it's like you know what? Mm-hmm. So if those guys can do it, we can do it too. And and we just loved we 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 loved Mongolia. I mean, we every, every chance we we go see them at you know in a warehouse or at a house show or whatever in, in you know Midtown Kansas City. That was that was we. We were there, you know. So, and all our friends were too. All our friends were super into Mall and Guire and stuff too. So, so that wasn't like, I mean, I think that was kind of like the band that was like, hey, we can do this too for us. But um, it was also kind of strange for us. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of the bands were like really into like Chicago sound and stuff like that. And, uh, and by that time, we were really super into you know, Super Chunk and Rock from the Crypt and Drive Like Jehu and all this kind of stuff. And there it didn't really seem to be like, like that, you know, Jawbreaker and stuff like that. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a, a local band that was bringing that kind of sound and element into the, into the local scene. 
Mm-hmm. I think that I think that may have been kind of you know where we kind of try to fill that that niche. You know. And then when you guys were, if it was if it was ninety four, uh, you know, if it was it was like a split or you know with vitreous humor or if there was the with Christy Front Drive or Giant's Chair. Did you sense a scene? Did you sense uh, the word emo being used at, at that time, um, or did it? Or was you was you got were you kind of removed from it a little bit, and you were like, we're just a, a indie band. I mean, if you mentioned Drive Like Jehu and Superchunk, you can hear that in there. But again, the uh-huh. scene itself uh-huh. manifests something else. So did you did you sense it? Did you feel it? Were you like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, it's really strange. Um, that stuff didn't really start until, like, we started really heavily touring. But um, to step back just a little bit, you know, when you talk about, like, emails, like, you know, getting tagged, you know, stereotyped as, you know, as a, as a label of, you know, of a genre or whatever you want to call it. Um, when Boys Life first started, you know, everyone thought we were, like, the punk band. We were, <laughs> we were, we were a punk band. We played with The Offspring. We played with Green Day. We played with, uh, I'm going to say I could step back from Green Day, but that's, that's another long story. That's for another, that's for another, uh, that's for another, uh, Watch the Bemo podcast. Love it. So, um, um, but, you know, we, we, we got booked with pretty much anybody, you know. Like everyone was like, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, just have boys like play, man, you know. We just seemed to kind of, we just kind of, you know, hit hit the target on everything, um, I guess, early on. Um, and then, and then we got, then we got kind of considered, kind of just like like an indie band, I guess. Kind of, we're just thought of ourselves as just four guys playing music. We didn't really, we didn't really think of ourselves as punk. We didn't really think of ourselves as, you know, like just thought of ourselves as indie, you know, because really into, you know, Dinosaur Junior and you know, all the kind of stuff and um and then I mean I think it really started happening after we were heavily touring. Um I I can't I remember I remember John Anderson was the first person who brought it up that someone had asked him after a show, I don't know if we played a basement or what, but someone mentioned the word emo to him. It's like, you know, you're one of those emo bands. It's like what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, he's like, like you're into drive like Jehu and Fugazi and Shawbreaker and all this stuff. He's like, doing the Zemo band. And I think it happened on the West Coast, and and we're like, oh well, okay. No band wants to get you know classified as as something, you know. But I I just I didn't really pay much attention to it. I just I've never been really into that kind of stuff, so. But then touring, I mean, you like you said, you're friends with the Braid Gods, or you knew, you know, Chrissy Front Drive. Those were some of the bands that went back and forth, or at least were still considered part of it. Um, after that wave, when it was, I think, a little more, I mean, when it kind of shifted from hardcore, and there was that actual screamo, and then it yeah. sort of went, it went mellow again. There was that connection. You were, I mean, you toured with all these bands, right? I mean, at least you were right. friends or, or or knew them, right? Right. Um, and I guess from that from that relationship, um, you guys were coming some from sort of the punk side 
um, uh-huh. versus the hardcore side, which I think some of the other bands that I've interviewed, you know, they 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 were in hardcore bands and then they you know kind of went mellow. Um, do you yeah, still yeah. feel? Do you from this from that connection in the bands that you were with? Um, are you appreciative of it now, um, or do you wish you were on Sub Pop and you know you could have uh, toured with you know Sonic Youth or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Now, now I mean, we just love playing music, and we never, you know, we never set out for a specific kind of sound or whatever. We've always you know, been, been four guys who just, I guess, let the, uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, just let the, uh, the, you know, let, let, let the feeling, let me, you know, let the music do its thing. So I, I guess, I mean, I, I guess, you know, everybody gets lumped together because, you know, we were all, we were playing all the basement shows. We were playing those little independent venues. We were playing, you know, the libraries in Huntington Beach. We were playing the, you know, the VFW halls. We were that, I guess, I guess you call it like the underground at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like all those bands, Dinosaur Jr., Sonic Youth, and all those bands are playing festivals and stuff. And, and then there's like the second tier of, you know, the Super Chunks and all those bands that are playing, you know, established clubs and blah, blah, blah. And we are kind of like that, that next wave of, I guess guitar bands. I mean, all this were that just, you know, we occasionally played a, uh, you know, a real club with, you know, a real PA and stuff, but most of the time we were, you know, just kind of doing our thing and doing a DIY and just, you know, getting in the van. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then getting, I mean, uh, obviously crank, um, was heavily associated with this, especially when I was in school, um, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, I mean, it was a respected label. There were bands that just like a top shelf now that if a band was out on that label, there was an assumption that it was a certain quality and that you would check it out. Um, and there was that, that still of, it wasn't this noise of Spotify and playlists and one song and then you're done. Like you spent time to kind of, uh, you spent time with it. Um, and I think for you guys to, you know, have, have those releases um, through that? Was was there any? Did you notice anything from it? Um, I mean, weren't you guys like the second release on their on that label? Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Um, you know, we met we met um, Crank through uh, Victor's Humor, and uh, you know, we did the split and. Yeah, it seemed to it you know it seemed to get a pretty good response, and so they'd asked us if we wanted to do an LP, and we're like, well, okay, yeah, we'll you know we'll do it. So, um, you know, back then, you know, if a door opens, especially if you're from Kansas City, um, yeah, we'll take it. So, um, we uh, you know, we just we just. You know, we wanted to tour. We wanted to get out there. We wanted to share our music with people. And um, so we just, you know, we just kept on trucking. And uh, and I think it's just, it. I think things really for Frank started taking off when they did the uh, the comp. Uh, don't forget the Breeze comp. I think that's, I think that's when they, they really started really solidifying their, their, I guess their dominance in the emo scene. I guess <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, I learned but, about but so many. It, uh, I learned about so many bands from that 
that release and it was uh yeah. it was sort of a it was sort of a uh a a spotify playlist that everyone heard um yet everyone went back and bought each of individual bands discography or a record from that right. it was almost like such a catalyst right. um and uh, i think right i i kind of look at that at that that compilation is kind of like the solidifying of the scene i mean it's I mean, I guess, I don't know, how would I put it? Um, that was kind of like, it was, a, it was, a easy, it was that catch-all. Just like you were saying, it's like you, you, you know, bought a lot of bands or you bought a lot of records from these bands and stuff or went to their shows because they're on that comp. I think that was kind of like a, you know, that, that kind of solidifying of the scene. It was like, hey, this is, this is an established thing now. This is, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. And with that being 96, if it was, I mean, 97, the comp came out, but 96, 95, the, those, those years, um, anything, anything interesting to note from either if it was, you know, tours or, or, or certain bands or, I mean, definitely made lifelong friends at that time just because of, uh, you know, it's the same aesthetic or, or same thoughts about the scene, but any other fun things from that time period? Cause I love talking about that time period. It's like specifically I've told this a hundred times. Jim Atkins tells a story where he found a payphone and called the kid and his mom picked up and they, that that's yeah. who put on the show like that. That does not happen. <laughs> there are, I mean, how many corresponding things did we have before we talked on the phone? I mean, it was, I mean, that, that's yeah. that kind of, uh, uh, thing that just it was uh it was definitely interesting so is there anything from that time period that you miss or even uh i guess loathe <laughs> ah i mean i i guess the first thing i miss is um uh the phone dialer are you are you familiar with the phone dialer yes braid taught me it <laughs> yeah we had a phone dialer as well um I just you know the backstory it's it's probably one of the original hacks um one of the first, like, real, like, 1990s technology digital hacks where Radio Shack made this this phone that you could, you know, preset all these, all these, uh, all your phone numbers, and if you're from a payphone or a regular phone, you just hold this, this little dialer up to the uh, earpiece and into the speaker piece of the phone, and it, it, dials, it dials numbers for you. But someone from some, you know, either Comet Bus or Maximum Rock and Roll or I don't, I don't know where it came from, but um, someone figured out how to how to just change change one of the chips in it to uh, emulate the um, the sound of a quarter going into a payphone, and so you just basically make you know a collect call, and it's you know the operator would ask you to you know put in one dollar for long distance or whatever and then you sit, you know, one, two, three, four, and would do its thing and boom, you've got yourself a phone call. And back then I, I, I yeah, I would I definitely miss I definitely miss the dialer. I do not miss the long distance phone bills we used to have. I mean when we first did our first tour and second tour, we were already nearly three hundred dollars in the hole just on phone calls. <laughs> you know, it's because there's there's no other way to do it. You know, if you wanted to find out more about this person who's going to put this show on for you, 
Yeah, you you vet them a little bit. You find out what's going on there. Cause, you know, you're always kind of like, it's like you're kind of going in blind a little bit. It's like, hey, we're going to be out here in this, you know, big bad world with all our gear in the back of our van and this person's supposedly going to do a show for us. <laughs> you yeah, know? there's this leap and, of faith. Uh, yeah, it's that leap of faith. And, you know, and you have contact with these people for for as long as you do. And, and then you, you know, you end up playing the show and it turns out really awesome. And, you know, guys all become like close friends and stuff. And it's, yeah. What do you think about the patience? I always thought that, I, I mean, I, writing a letter to a friend in college, I wrote a letter. Yes, I might have mm-hmm. emailed, but I actually, you know, I would write stuff or I would, uh, uh, or, or, or waiting, you know, buying a record <laughs> and waiting, waiting two weeks and it coming in. And then I just, I, I, I wonder how I would subsist now having everything um, <laughs> and, you know, buying, going through the very catalog or cargo right, or whatever right. it was and picking out 10 things and just, I mean, what did I do after I put, I mean, it was a leap of faith, even putting the, even the check into the, into the <laughs> letter that you fucking hope got to Chicago or wherever the hell it was. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I used to be, I used to be that kid. It was like the worst at, at, at knowing how to like, it was so confusing. Book. And I was like, I was like, I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy all these records from Lookout, and I hope this check doesn't bounce. I'm sure they're thinking the same thing too. And um, but uh, even I loved those days because doing mail order and stuff. There's there's always there's always like some cool person at the label or whatever. It's bought like three records. They'd always throw in like you know a seven inch or something. Like they always you know they always seemed like back then in the day like someone would give you a, a gimme as well. Just, just for fun, you know. Yeah, you'd get extra I, stickers I or something, and it would blow your mind. Yeah, like I, I remember I, I got you know some seven inch from Lookout. It was a split seven inch. I can't remember who it was, but I'm sure I got it in my stack someplace. But uh, um, it was on Red Vinyl, and it was, I'm like, oh wow, so cool, man! They gave me a free record. Like I didn't ask for it, you know. What? <laughs> and then you're, and then you're a fan for life. Yeah, exactly. You're you're a fan for life. So, um, but there was that yeah, physical I, connection to it. I brought the I, I bought uh, Screeching Weasel. Um, uh, My brain hurts, right? That's the name of the record. And then uh, I bought Green Day Kerplunk. Can't remember what else. What else? Uh, yeah, then they gave me some like free records. It's it's awesome. So, That's right. Look out! Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to a record store in D.C. and bought um, Embrace, Rights of Spring, and I think I bought something else. And the guy just looked up and he was like, doing your homework. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, I feel so cool. I'm in D.C. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I, was, I mean, that's, uh, I mean that's, that's, how, that's, how, that's how we first met about Shigazi um, back in the skateboarding days. Yeah, I know, you know, I know who Minor Threat was and stuff, but... But I had a friend named Jeff Petko who uh, who went to D.C. for summer, and he came back and you know he he dubbed us all like copies of Margin Walker, <laughs> and he just did it on his own just for the hell of it, you know. He's like, you got it. He's like, you got to have this record. I was like, wow. I was like, wow. This is this is guys from my friend. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> so. That's cool. What are some other uh, bands from that time that you enjoyed hanging out with? If it was, you know, if it was the Braid Guys or 
Christy Front Drive, were there other bands that people might not have thought of that you had fun or playing with or hanging with? Yeah, well, you know, we you know we did a lot of we did a lot of uh, touring with Giants Chair. Um, those are those are some of my best friends. I've you know made made for life, and you know we practiced together. We did all that kind of stuff together and toured together, and yeah, that's that was that was pretty awesome. Um, we uh, we did a lot of touring with Boilermaker. Oh, and, I love that uh, band. Yeah, uh, Taryn and Taryn and the crew. Those those guys are still still some of my favorite people, and um, they really they really made San Diego home for us. I mean, they were they were those they were those three guys that when we were out out on a limb and uh, for our first tour and you know furthest away from home we've ever been in our entire lives. You know, they they made us they made us feel at home and they made us they made us comfortable and and it's just San Diego's always kind of been a home away from home for us uh, ever since then. Yeah. Those guys, those guys were guys are the best. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying the episode of Washed Up Emo Podcast with John from Boys Life. Just want to uh, reach out and say again this episode. And Washed Up Emo is sponsored by Epitaph Records, epitaph.com, our friends on the West Coast. Fantastic releases, fantastic people, fantastic label. So thank you to Epitaph Records for uh, being a part of uh, Washed Up Emo. And uh, please check them out, epitaph.com. And if you're interested in everything Washed Up Emo, if this is your first time listening or 45th time, washedupemo.com is your place for everything. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything is all the same. Tumblr. Follow us, uh, interact. Please let me know what you like and don't like. Uh, it's always nice to hear from everybody around the world. It is truly mind blowing that people pay attention and listen, and it means a lot. So, we're gonna get back to the episode of with uh, Boys Life. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Oh, you really? Yeah. Did you? Did, were you aware of the supposed, or not supposed, the uh, the labeled emo revival? Did you? Were you aware of that in like 2010 or 2011 or 2009? Yes, I actually was kind of aware of it. Um, it was it was actually really strange. Um, I had some friends uh, come visit from St. Louis and uh, there was a band here from Chicago they, they wanted to go and 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 see and it's, it's like, I think they were called Cats of Vets set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, they they were playing like a basement on the west side in you know in Humboldt Park or something. And like it's like so like it's it's gonna be a good old fashioned house show. And we're like, okay, let's go. You know, we're like, wow. It's like, 
that'd be kind of cool. And I think this was this was like 2009, 2010, I think, somewhere like right around that. And uh, I was like, whoa! It, the, the whole time we were just talking about, wow, this, doesn't this really kind of bring you back? Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, it's like the same thing. It's like it's like running with Taiwan. <laughs> you know, there be kids, there kids, you know, selling records and. You know, people hanging out and acting goofy in the backyard, and you know, it's hot and sweaty and nasty in the uh, in the basement, and you know, sound is horrible, but everyone's rocking out and having a good time. I was like, whoa! I was like, <laughs> am I? Is this 1995? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I was like, oh, fans on a record label? Like, what are they called? You know, blah blah. And like, that was kind of so I was like, whoa! He's like, wow! She's like, it's kind of like way back when, and. And that's when that's when I kind of knew that it was that it was going on. I, not that I paid you know a whole lot of attention to it, but um, um, I, yeah, I was, was pretty aware of what was going on. And so I started, you know, kind of digging around here and there, you know, finding about these bands, listening to a little bit on the uh, on the old internets and stuff. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I think too. I mean, yeah, that, I that, that, yeah that that reaction was very similar. Um, a lot of people felt the same way. They're like, wait a minute, what? This is going on? This reminds me of 96 or 95. And to hear it, and I think all it is is, I think Todd from Braid mentioned this to me once. He said, if you, you know, there's always a basement show. And if, and if you don't know where it is, then you're sort of out of the scene a little bit and you need to go find it because it's always happening. There's always, whatever's happening popular now. And I think that's what's, if there's an ever like a cycle that I kind of want to stay in is I want to keep finding uh-huh. that because I feel like that's where something new is happening. And yes, it might have the same aesthetic and there'll be a pop punk tied to band or there'll be a more, uh, you know, there'll be a hardcore tinged band or acoustic, whatever it is. It's coming from that place of I'm going to do it myself. Yes, it's more uh uh, it's faster. There's, you know, we could we could re- record a song right now and put it up and have a band and a and a page and a Facebook and, but right. It, it, right, right, whatever right. that is, it's still continuing, and it's there's still that lineage, and I think that's what's really cool about these old and new. You know, Braid being on top shelf, you guys having a reissue, newer bands talking about you guys. Like, there's a great connection that I think that's why you're not connecting with maybe the maybe there is going to be a connection with the mid two thousands bands uh, from somebody else. That's maybe with eyeliner um, or something, but for them to kind of (laughs) connect this way in the DIY basement feel seems, I think you guys might feel kind of like, wow, that we made an impact more than we thought we did. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, 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 I think what comes back to that is, is it's, it's amazing when we, when we first started to talk about maybe redoing this and revisiting our, our old band and stuff, um, you, you ask you ask yourself if, hey, did did we make an impact? Does are people really going to care about what we're doing and stuff? You know, and and then you finally you finally get to the point where like, well, maybe we did. So. And then you just kind of figure it out, I guess. Yeah. No, and I think I think I think what's great about it is that 
you guys are doing this and there's going to be people that come out and it's going to be a happy moment and it's not this sort of forced thing and it felt right. And there, there's, there isn't a better time to do this. There's not a better time to have this open feeling about the nostalgia for these bands because there's newer kids that are super into it and people probably older than me or younger than all over that either heard about you or then can kind of finally see you. There's people texting me, you know, I've never mm-hmm. seen hum mm-hmm. before and now they're checking them out this, you know, mm-hmm. recently or, uh, they're seeing the Get Up Kids for the first time. I mean, this is this is yeah. a really cool yeah. sort of moment. And I think you guys are hitting it right at the right time and being able to tour with you know doing shows at Giants Chair, having Josh Berwanger from the a- anniversary come out for some of them. This is just a it, it's almost like a celebration, and uh, um, I'm glad that you know almost be thankful that you guys can do it. Right, and and that that's actually the way we're really looking at this. It's it's you know it's you don't hate Brandon's butt. You know you, you you don't hate the guys. You want to hang out with them. You want to yeah. do it. That's a good feeling. <laughs> right. And well, you know, and it, it's you know, it's 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 more than that. It's it's that you know we want to have fun. We want the people who are going to come to see us have fun and, you know, and celebrate and, and enjoy, just enjoy this. I mean, that's just kind of the way we're, we're kind of looking at it. We're not looking at it as, you know, we, you know, we've been trolled on the internet saying, Oh, another emo band going for the cash grab. You know, it's, it's actually, it's, it's actually bigger for us. You know, we're not, none of us live in the same, same city and stuff. This is, this is, this is this is pretty difficult, you know, when you have you have family and you have responsibilities, and mm-hmm. you you make the choice to do it. You, you do it because you you want to do it. You, you don't do it for I'm just you know I'm just going to do it for the money or whatever. It's like it's really not, really it's, those guys. Hey, you know, I hope that those guys enjoy their basement apartments at their parents' house because to say that stuff is ridiculous. <laughs> Where was the money? There wasn't. Um, yeah. Eric Richter always yeah. kind of joked about that. He's like, there was no money. Mm. This was, this was, yeah. you know, yes, certain bands broke through. Yes, there were popular ones and not popular ones. But overall, mm. it's not, it, 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 it wasn't, uh, yes, bands made money and, you know, it was fine. But there wasn't this, like, uh, this isn't a cash grab. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to get really, a, we're going to get really immersed in it. It's going to be, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to, we're gonna really, we're gonna bang it out. We're not, you know, we're not gonna be filming it in or anything. We're gonna, we have a lot of, we're gonna bring a lot of the, uh, we're actually gonna have a chance to do a lot of things we always wanted to do, like technologically or just money wise, we were never able to do back in the day. You know, we're gonna bring in the cricket sounds, we're gonna bring in the, uh, the train sounds and some bombs and stuff, and it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna, we're, the lights are gonna be low and we're, we're gonna, we're gonna rock out and have fun. So, you know, I mean, as long as we keep on having fun, we're just gonna keep on doing it. And I think uh, that's uh, just what it's all about. It's, it's, you know, it's all about music and it's all about, you know, making your life happy, making your life a, a better thing. Yeah. It's, uh, my life, my life's much better with having those guys, guys around again. But, uh,
Well, that was just fantastic. John from Boys Life, episode 45 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. Thank you to Epitaph Records for being our sponsor, epitaph.com, for all your music needs. Complaints, concerns, say hi. WashedUpEmo.com, WashedUpEmo on all the social networks that you can probably think of. I am there. Look forward to hearing from you, and I'll see you next time. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo. And Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also printed volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com